open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. Christ hath appeared unto us. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Christ hath appeared unto us. O come, let us worship him.
Behold, the Lord, the ruler, has come, and the kingdom and the power and the glory are in his hand. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Behold, the Lord, the Ruler, has come, and the kingdom and the power and the glory are in his hand. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. The Old Testament lesson for the baptism of our Lord is written in the 42nd chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, beginning at the first verse. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout nor raise his voice, nor cause it to be heard in the street. He won't break a bruised reed. He won't quench a dimly burning wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not fail nor be discouraged until he has set justice in the earth and the islands wait for his law. God the Lord, he who created the heavens and stretched them out, he who spread out the earth and that which comes out of it, he who gives breath to its people and spirit to those who walk in it, says, I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand, I will keep you, and make you a covenant for the people, as a light for the nations, to open the blind eyes, to bring the prisoners out of the dungeon, and those who sit in darkness out of the prison. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the first chapter of the first epistle to the Corinthians, beginning at the twenty-sixth verse. For see your calling, brothers, that not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble. But God chose the foolish things of the world that he might put to shame those who are wise. God chose the weak things of the world that he might put to shame the things that are strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the things that are despised and the things that don't exist, that he might bring to nothing the things that exist that no flesh should boast before God. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has made to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen.
Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the third chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. But John would have hindered him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Allow it now, for this is the fitting way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up directly from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming to him. Behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here ends the Gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to the light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From our antiphon, God the Father says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. You may be seated. From Psalm 89, this is God's promise to David and to Israel, and it would be a perplexing problem for Israel. The promise itself is wonderful. It's God's announcement that he himself had chosen Israel's king and his servant, a man after his own heart, the scriptures declare him, who desired to do the Lord's will. And imagine how nice that would be if instead of heading into another election cycle with anxiety and billions of dollars spent, if we just waited for God to say one day, this is the man, my servant, he'll lead you. That would be rather comforting every four years instead of what we have. And so it was for Israel, comforting. But God didn't choose David to be a servant king for three or four years. God anointed David with his holy oil, wherein the oil he received God's Holy Spirit to make and empower him Israel's king, so that David's kingship was divinely chosen. It wasn't chosen by the people, but by God, so that God would establish through him an eternal throne. God gave his servant his spirit, and everything his servant could have wanted. And his servant was, in turn, to reign Israel with perfect loyalty and devout faith in God and in harmony with God's will. And that was the Davidic promise to Israel, an eternal kingdom with a perfect eternal king. But again, this great promise becomes a great perplexing problem. Because 600 years before John the Baptist came to the Jordan, the Babylonian army besieged Jerusalem, laid ruin to the city, destroyed the temple, and overthrew that Davidic royal line. In fact, it humiliated the Davidic royal line. It humiliated the Davidic king. 
They killed the king's family in front of him. They gouged out his eyes. Then they shackled him with bronze chains as they marched him to Babylon. And that humiliation was so great for Israel and their king that for 600 years from that day where the king was deposed to the day of John the Baptist, for 600 years Israel did not see another Davidic king. And for them this was catastrophic. The city of God was laid waste. The temple of God was destroyed. God's presence left it, and all the treasures were ransacked. And the great, divinely chosen Davidic royal line that was their pride was chopped down from being a mighty tree down to a stump by pagan Gentiles. So for 600 years, God's people had to wrestle with this reality. In the middle of great destruction and humiliation, where was God and his promise of that eternal Davidic king? Did God leave his people? That's what Psalm asked. And that's what this psalm is about. But then, after the psalmist prays the words of the Father, he, the psalmist goes on to say, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. So that in utter destruction, the psalmist still sings the Lord's praises. In humiliation, he'll sing that to eternity, he says. And not only that, but in the midst of ruins where all the buildings were destroyed. In the midst of those ruins, he vows to teach and catechize each and every generation of Israel so that they know every wonderful, loyal love act of love that God has shown to his people. And so the psalmist prays this. In the middle of all that destruction, humiliation, the psalmist prays this psalm in faith. And he's reminding the Lord of who the Lord says he is. As if he was praying, remember, Lord, that you yourself chose David. Remember, that you promised steadfast, unwavering love to us sinners. Remember your faithfulness to your promises, that it's always sure. They are suffering without a Davidic king. They have to answer as a nation to other pagan nations. And in faith, the man who wrote this psalm invokes the Lord's faithful love and says, Lord, make good on your promises. Knowing full well, or having full faith that the Lord will. And God's people prayed this psalm for 600 years without a king. And so in our gospel, when you look at verse 13 of the gospel there in your bulletins, it looks like such a simple verse, but it's so significant. Because in verse 13, God is answering that ancient prayer. Because Jesus comes to John at the Jordan as the son of David coming to his coronation. That's easy to miss in verse 13, but that's exactly what it is. John doesn't recognize this right away. He does recognize that this is our Lord. He knows who Jesus is. And John also knows that his baptism is a baptism of repentance for sinners. 
And so he tells Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. I'm the sinner here, not you. So why do you come to me when you have no sin to repent of? To which our Lord replies, let it be so now, for thus it is filling for us to fulfill all righteousness. As if our Lord was saying, I've come to be baptized and counted among sinners. I've come to be coronated as their king. That's what John hears. That's what changes his mind. So that there in the Jordan, for the first time in 600 years, the Davidic king is anointed. The divine Davidic reign is brought back. The son of David has come to establish his throne, to reign over the people of God in the city of God. John's baptism of Jesus is the answer to that 600-year-old prayer. So know what's going on here. Just as David received the Spirit with oil to become king, even more so our Lord receives the Spirit with the water. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God anointed his king, gave him his spirit to make and empower him to be Israel's eternal king. God gave his servant his spirit, and his servant in turn was to reign over the new Israel with perfect loyalty and devout faith in harmony with God's will. Here was the Davidic promise finally come to Israel, an eternal kingdom with a perfect eternal king. So that just as Israel shared in the reign of David, so now the new Israel will share in the reign of this son of David. That's our promise. We're the baptized. We're God's people. What he promises Christ here in the eternal kingdom is the promise to us as well. And when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, here in the psalm he describes what that means. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. That's the promise from the Father to Jesus, His chosen. That's the promise to us. And again, like it was for Israel, this promise would be a perplexing problem. And you can ask our disciples why it was a perplexing problem. The twelve disciples who were with Him at Gethsemane when our Lord was arrested. Because there in Gethsemane, here was the promised great King arrested as His disciples fled and his own people tried him for blasphemy. Here was the king who had God as his rock, as his strength and endurance, being whipped and scourged and mocked by pagans and having someone help him carry his cross. 
Here was the king made the firstborn in the waters, made the highest of the kings of earth, being judged beneath Pontius Pilate and handed over for crucifixion. Here was the king having his body torn apart like the promised land was torn apart by the Babylonians, who was having his blood spilled like the Babylonians spilled the blood of the king's family, who breathed his last and gave up the spirit like the presence of God left the temple before. For the disciples who ran away, this was catastrophic. God's people and the twelve disciples were scattered. The temple, the body of our Lord, was destroyed. The spirit was no longer with the king. The king gave up the ghost. The righteousness of our Lord was ransacked from him. The great divinely chosen Davidic king had to be brought down from the tree, seemingly overthrown by unfaithful Jews and pagan Gentiles. And so for that evening and the next day, the disciples had to wrestle with this in the middle of great destruction and great humiliation. Where was God and His promise of the eternal Davidic King? As Jesus was placed in the tomb, they were asking themselves, has God left us? Has God left His people? That's what the disciples wrestled with. And who could blame them? That's what the Israelites struggled with when they were conquered centuries before. But they missed that day what was really happening. God wasn't leaving them. God was fulfilling everything. Here again, the words of the Father in this psalm. My servant, my king, my servant, the king of my people shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. Look what happened on the cross. Our Lord prayed on the cross, Father, Forgive them for what they do. He called him Father, just like the psalm said. Showing here, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Showing that this promise is actually not a problem at all. Because with these words, our Lord shows he is God's anointed servant king sitting upon his throne of the cross. This psalm is actually coming true. There on the cross, he also prayed, My God, my God. Just like the psalm says, he'll call him, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our Lord invokes the Father as his God, not in a prayer of despair, but a prayer in full faith that the Father will hear. Remember, the psalmist in the middle of destruction had full faith. And Jesus praying this psalm, prays it in full faith, knowing that the Father in the middle of this destruction and humility and His great wrath, knowing that the Father will hear Him. As our Lord became sin for us, as He took all that wrath on Himself that we deserved, our Lord trusted that the Father would hear Him and the Father would act in His loyal love. And it doesn't look like that at first when he's brought down from the cross and buried. But notice what the Father also says. Yea, I myself shall ordain him the firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. 
and my covenant will stand firm for him. Yes, our Lord suffered, and yes, he was humiliated. But notice what happened on the cross. He was also on the cross lifted up above the earth. He sat on the cross higher than all the kings of the earth, doing the will of the Father. The divine servant, doing what the Father wanted, dying for the sins of the world. Here was the man after the Father's own heart, doing the Father's will perfectly. And because this divinely chosen king was obedient and faithful to the Father, remember that the Father promised to preserve his loyal, steadfast love for him. And so our Lord was buried. And three days later, the Father, remembering the prayers of his servant, answered. Raising up our Lord from the dead. Our Father in heaven, who at our Lord's ascension, placed this servant king at his right hand, giving him all authority over heaven and earth, where he still reigns over all kings of the earth. In fact, there is no position higher for a king than to be the servant of the Lord, because he reigns on David's throne forever. And we know it's forever, because God's promise to his servant was made in the blood that the servant poured out for us. In baptism, where that blood makes us clean, what, the God, what God the Father promised to his servant that he would rise again will also happen for us. We will rise and reign with him. Our antiphon began with the words, Behold, the Lord, the ruler, has come, and the kingdom and the power and the glory are in his hand. And so here we are 2,000 years after the resurrection. Here is this wonderful promise of salvation made to us in baptism. But if you haven't noticed, this great promise is also a great perplexing problem for us. The church, the body of Christ, the spiritual temple of God on earth is besieged by the flesh, the world, and the devil constantly. How often have we seen over the decades church bodies and congregations fall away? They capitulate to the culture. Teach what the culture teaches. Teach what the world teaches. As walls of faith and hearts of many are destroyed, as in this temple the treasures of our Lord's doctrines are ransacked and replaced with teachings such as love is love or do not judge or God just wants you to be happy. How often does God's presence leave the hearts of those led astray or the hearts of those who reject him? Or how often does his presence leave the altars of congregations that turn from his way, no matter how many people are there? How, many, how often does God's presence leave the altar when the liturgy is thrown out for something man-made? Or when incredible irreverence is shown amidst his presence instead of true worship. Or when churches don't even acknowledge his presence and promises in the waters of the font or the supper of the altar. How often is the body of the king humiliated in this world? 
as his own faithful people, his own family, are persecuted, mocked, and the world over have their blood shed. How often does the body of the king seem to be destroyed as the number of the faithful seem to dwindle year after year after year? It feels catastrophic. We see, we've seen the reverence of the church towards Christ's teachings laid waste. We've seen the church, the spiritual temple of God, trampled upon and ransacked. We felt the royalty of the great divinely chosen church be continually chopped down by pagans and unbelievers. And so like the psalmist 600 years ago, like the disciples the night that Jesus was betrayed, we also find ourselves asking, in the middle of destruction and humiliation, where is God in His promise of the King? Has God left us His people? How often does that run through our minds? And the psalm here, prayed by our Lord and prayed by us, gives us the answer. A resounding answer. No. God has not left you. There will be suffering, but He is still with you. Our Lord in this psalm has given us a prayer to pray while we are suffering. God is reminding us in this psalm that the kingdom of Christ is not found in worldly power and might. It's found in suffering, death, and then glory as our King shows us. We're only seven days into a new year. And already in our own backyard, a few hours away, we're all suffering from the school shooting. It happened in our home. Chances are, we will suffer even more catastrophe in the next year, whether as a nation or as a church. In fact, the psalm promises there will be suffering however and whenever it comes. And so the psalm says, be comforted. Don't let your faith be shaken. Suffering will come. But pray this psalm like our Lord upon the cross. Pray it in complete faith. When you're perplexed, pray it in complete faith. Because God has a faithful, loyal love towards Christ and with all those baptized into Christ. The covenant which God makes in Christ's blood into which you were baptized, what you drink here at the altar, that covenant is eternal because the life in that blood is eternal. No suffering can remove His promise of salvation in Christ. In fact, more than that, suffering can't remove the promise. Our Lord joins us in suffering and strengthens the promise so that in Him, suffering with us, we may call upon God who is our Father, who is our unmovable rock. Knowing that upon this rock, if we stand on it and endure, we'll be led 
by Christ into suffering, into glory. Even though death surrounds us, even though the enemies of the church trample Christ's royalty and diminish his bride, God's promise is unmoved. It is still yours. You will not be taken from his hand. And we will rise again when the firstborn of the resurrection returns to us to bring us from this side of suffering to the side of glory everlasting. So if we struggle with doubt today or throughout any time this year or beyond, may we pray this psalm with our Lord as we eat and drink this supper together in hope of his return. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O God, our Heavenly Father, whose voice was heard at the baptism of your only begotten Son, declaring him to be the one with whom you are pleased, pour down your Holy Spirit upon your faithful people, that we may rejoice in the same sonship that we have received from you through our baptism into Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it, and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, 
and endued them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, Help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, 
that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.